Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. This is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. It's great to be back again with all of our listeners. We're so thankful that so many are turning in and listening and studying with us through God's Word. And it's a privilege for us to be able to pursue this ministry, to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis. Now, it's also a responsibility that we take very seriously. It's not just something that we have allocated so much, so much funds for or just fills up a certain period of time that is allocated to do this particular ministry. We take this seriously because we're teaching people about God through his word and thereby about forgiveness and salvation through him or from him through Jesus Christ. We want to help people get to heaven. That's really what the bottom line is, but bottom, basic to that bottom line is we want to glorify God by teaching his word accurately and effectively and even powerfully. If you are listening for the very first time, we're thankful that you're there. And our prayer is that is you listen for even just a few of our programs, you'll quickly come to realize that the name Search the Scriptures is exactly what we do through this radio ministry. We dig deep into God's Word. We help people get a better, fuller, deeper understanding of what the Scriptures are really teaching. We don't pull any punches as far as teaching the truth, because it is the truth that will set us free, Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32. We need to know the truth of God's word in order to be able to be faithful to God and ultimately be with him in heaven for all of eternity. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and study with us, worship with us, grow spiritually with us at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. Our Bible classes on Sunday morning begin at 9.30, followed by our worship service at 10.30. On Wednesday evenings, we get together at 6.30 for midweek Bible classes each Wednesday evening. And you are welcome to any and all of these services. If you have any questions about anything you hear us say, then we encourage you to contact us. You can do that through our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the email link, or you can call us at 402-498-8397, 402-498-8397. Now, we encourage you to do something else. This radio program is a great resource for studying God's Word, and growing in our faith. But you can go to our website, as we said, churchofchrist.com. You can click on the listen button at the top of the home page and then sign up for our podcasting. Now, it is free. It always will be free. And when you do that, you will receive automatically to your smart device, whether that's your smartphone or your computer, your laptop, your pad, your tablet, whatever it might be, Whichever one you choose, you will receive the radio program, Search the Scriptures, every day, Monday through Friday, automatically. And again, it will be free always. So sometimes people cannot listen at the times that the program is broadcast, even though we're broadcast several times each day, Monday through Friday. But when you sign up for the podcasting, you can download it and listen to it anytime that you have the opportunity. 
You'll also receive a great daily, short, about a 13-minute Bible study each day that we call today's Bible class. And that's seven days a week. Keeps us in God's Word for at least a few minutes every day. And you'll receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, and all of our sermons. While in our website, you can also access hundreds of sermons, and many of those are now posted in video format as well as audio format. And you can download and study through, read and grow spiritually through hundreds of articles that are scripturally based and spiritually focused. All of that, again, is free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. Hope you'll take advantage of that. And we're going to get back into our study about the existence of God. We have looked at the first couple of these, of these sections to this series, and we've talked about, and we're, we're looking at this, and we're trying to present belief in God from a practical, logical perspective. Now, we'll get to some of the technical aspects of believing in God and the reasons why we should believe in God when we look at it from a technical and more scientific perspective. But I'm, I, I'm afraid that a lot of people don't think about the logical reasons to believe in God. We talked about in the first couple of sections of this series about how there is no goodness, no definition of goodness. In fact, there is no goodness without a basis or a standard of goodness, and that standard is God. If you take God out of the picture, then there is no standard for goodness, except whatever every single individual decides is goodness from their particular line of reasoning on a personal basis. And that changes with individuals, that changes with society, that changes with culture, that changes with history. Lots and lots and lots of examples could be given about what people thought to be good at one particular point in time on a pretty general basis, only to have that change as time goes on. Individuals, personal decisions as to goodness change again as their time goes on, their lifetime progresses. What they thought was good at one point, they decide later on, well, that wasn't so good. What they thought was bad, Later on, they think, well, you know, I made a mistake back there, or I want to change my mind. I, I think that's pretty good now. Well, there is no standard without God for goodness. We also talked about morality, and it really relates to goodness. Morality comes from the understanding of what is good and what is not good. Morality has to have a moral lawgiver. Now, just as we talked about with the whole principle of goodness, if you leave what is moral and what is immoral up to mankind as a whole, well, you're all over the place. And you have different individuals that think some particular practice is moral and another practice is immoral, but the next person down the street will have it just the opposite. They'll disagree completely. It'll be just the opposite of what that first person thought. And when you look at, again, a culture within society, you'll have that culture will determine at one point in their history that certain things are moral and certain things are immoral. Only 
after a period of time goes by, to have them, that culture, change their position on morality and immorality. You see, there is no standard. For morality to really exist and have real meaning, there has to be a moral lawgiver. And mankind cannot be that moral lawgiver because we're all over the place individually and culturally and historically. The only moral lawgiver is God. God, totally good, totally righteous all the time, is the, is, is the moral lawgiver. He teaches us through his word what real morality is. And God does not change. Now, let's look at the third section of this particular study on the existence of God. And again, we're still looking at it from a practical and logical perspective. When we look at the scriptures, we look at God's word that is laid out in very direct, unapologetic ways or standards. God's word is very forthright. It does not beat around the bush. It is straightforward and it is unapologetic in its statements of truth. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, and I know that we talk about this all the time, we emphasize that faith is not something magical, it's not something mystical, it's not something that just kind of happens to an individual out of the blue, whether they want it or not, but faith comes literally by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17 says, more exactly, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you boil that down, the sense of what is being communicated there is that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So how does faith develop within an individual? Well, somehow, in some shape, form, or fashion, by some means, they learn the teachings of God's word. Now, I'm not talking about the entire Bible, every scripture, but they begin to learn enough from God's word that faith develops within them. And the more they get into God's word, the stronger their faith becomes, the stronger it becomes. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, the King James Version says, study. Other translations say, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The more and more we get into God's word, the stronger and the more far-reaching our faith becomes because that is the basis of the development of faith. The scriptures, they don't beat around the bush again, and they don't kind of pull back and, and just in, in, encourage the person to yeah, just kind of stay on the periphery here when it comes to what you're reading from the Word, what you're studying. We don't want you to get too deep into it because you might find some problems there, some contradictions. No, that's not how God's Word is. God's Word is very declarative in what it is teaching. And again, no holds barred, no pulling of any punches, no beating around the bush, straightforward, no apologies for what it is declaring to be the truth from God. In John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, and I referred to verse 32 just a moment ago, 
But when we back up to verse 31, Jesus, again, lays out this very principle as to where faith comes from, how it develops, and how central it is to a person's belief in him as God's son, our Lord and Savior, and belief in God. In verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, that is, live in or live by my word, you are my disciples indeed, or my followers indeed. How do we become true followers of Christ? Not just a feeling that comes over us, not just something that happens out of the blue. We don't know anything about Jesus, and all of a sudden, wow, now I'm his follower. (laughs) Some people, when they talk about how they got faith, it's almost that wild-eyed, you know, in, in the way they're, they're portraying it. No. You shall, if you abide in my word, you're going to learn about me through my teachings. And if you live by those teachings, then you truly are my disciples. Now, the only way we can truly be Christ's disciples in the ultimate sense is to live by his teachings, shape and guide our, life, our lives by his word. The next verse says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, that's a statement that holds not only when it comes to our spiritual lives, but it holds in life in general. The truth is the best way to go. When we start trying to shade the truth, when we start trying to pull back from the truth and and kind of distance ourselves from it, we're going to have problems. But the truth is shall make you free. Now, later in John chapter 17 and verse 17, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus prayed to the Father, and he prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So it is the truth of God's word that Jesus said will set you free. But you need to know that truth first. And that comes by, again, what Paul said, diligent study continued being a a continued student of God's word. And that's what this radio program is all about. Search the scriptures. We get into God's word. We study what it really teaches. So faith in God and faith in Christ is based on factual knowledge, not superstition. Again, if you abide in my word, you shall be my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When you start changing truth, it's no longer the truth. When you start shading the truth, well, that's another way of simply changing it, and it's no longer fully the truth. Our faith in God is rooted in substance and evidence. Now, there are a lot of people who are disbelievers or who are skeptics or agnostics, And frankly, skeptics and agnostics are pretty much the same as atheists. But they will talk about faith in God and faith in Christ and faith in the, the Bible as being a blind leap in the dark. At least that's a common statement used by many such people. A blind leap in the dark. You just believe without any, without any real understanding of what you're believing or any real reasoning, no basis for what you're believing. You're just told something and so you believe it. That's not what real faith is, as taught in the scriptures. Real faith, saving faith, is rooted in substance and evidence. It is not a blind leap in the dark or a wild belief 
in something unrealistic, something without basis, without substance. But the Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 gives us the Bible's definition of what real faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, somebody says, yeah, see, look at, that, look at those phrases. Things hoped for, things not seen. See, it's just a blind leap in the dark. No, no, don't forget those other words. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There are a lot of things we don't see in a physical form before our very eyes. We cannot visualize that in a literal way, but we see the evidence of it. And the evidence is so overwhelming that we believe all kinds of things. Electricity? Have you seen electricity? Well, yeah, I've seen how, you know, I, I plug something into the, into the, the wall and, and I turn on the switch and it works. You're seeing the evidence of electricity. You're not seeing electricity itself. Well, I turn on the switch and my light comes on overhead. You're seeing the evidence of electricity. You're not seeing electricity itself. What about the wind? Now, I've used this example many times. Oh, sure, I see the wind. I see it blowing the clouds across. You're seeing the, the clouds go across the sky. You're not seeing the wind. You're seeing the evidence of the wind as it blows those clouds across the sky or as it causes the leaves in a tree to rustle as it passes through that tree. But you don't see the wind. You see the evidence of the wind. We could think also from... Uh, a molecular kind of perspective. We see the evidence of molecules, of atoms, and so on, but we don't see those molecules and atoms. Now, in some cases, we can get a microscope and we can tune in some of those things and say, ah, I see it. But you don't usually see that, but you see the evidence of such. Well, the examples can go on and on and on. And that is what the Hebrews writer says about faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. What is substance again? It is something you can, you can in some kind of physical way observe, touch, examine. Well, the Bible does not, again, shrink away from declaring itself to be truth. In fact, it invites the reader to examine it as being truth. And the more a reader examines it, the more convinced he becomes, if he's objective in his reasoning, the more convinced he becomes, yet the Bible really is truth. And it is the truth of God's word. Now, again, the Bible encourages thorough study. There are people who will, in different positions in life, they will insist that they're telling the truth about something. And when you start questioning them, 
in a more thorough way about what they're saying, especially comparing what they're saying to what you can observe in relation to what they're saying, they get, a lot of times they become very defensive or even angry. And they may, they may start denigrating you, calling you names, because you're examining what they say based upon facts, evidence, objective observation. And so they'll want to pull back and, as I say, kind of skirt around the periphery. They want you to believe what they say, but they don't want you to examine what they say to see if it really is the truth. But the Bible's not like that. It encourages the reader to examine it in depth. Again, that's why the Apostle Paul wrote, study, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's an example when we look at the book of Acts, chapter 17. Paul and Silas were in Thessalonica teaching the gospel. And it says in verse, in verse 2, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Oh, but there were some who did not believe. And they were upset with Paul and Silas. And instead of reasoning with them from the scriptures, they wanted to shut them up. And that's the way a lot of people are. When you begin challenging them about what they tell you, as supposedly being the truth of a particular matter, they want to shut you up. They want to intimidate you into closing your mouth. Stop challenging them. So verse 5 says, But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Well, Paul and Silas were not there in the house of Jason, but they succeeded in basically making things so dangerous that they left town. But they went not that far away to another city called Berea. And look at the contrast of the Bereans. Verse 10, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews now notice this, the contrast, the difference between those in Thessalonica and those in Berea, both being taught the same gospel message. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them, therefore, because they went through that process of personally searching the scriptures to see if these things were so, what Paul and Silas were teaching them. Therefore, many of them believed. Well, our time is just about up for today, so we're going to stop here. The scriptures are, again, 
not hesitant or unapologetic. Search the scriptures. They are truly the truth of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us your word to guide us in your truth, but not just in your truth is how we should see it, but in truth, in what really is truth. And your word teaches us so thoroughly what truth is that it is a great aid for us to believe in you. You are God. Help people to see this reality. Help them to open their hearts, their eyes, their minds to come to the truth of your word and your existence as their creator. We pray for forgiveness, gracious Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.